Hello, and welcome to another episode of All of Them Witches. I'm your host, Marcus, here to chat about horror movies. Um, first off, if the audio quality sounds a little different this time around, it's because I'm using a different um, headset. Hopefully it's okay. I'm trying to figure out a kind of more efficient slash convenient way for me to do these recordings. Um, and having to set up like, you know, a whole desktop and all these other things. So hopefully this is okay. If not, um, bear with me. I will try to kind of both improve, but also resolve some of my issues that are causing trouble with recording these episodes. Anyway, um, since the last time I recorded, I haven't really watched any movies. Um, I've watched various other things, like little documentaries, a surprising amount of YouTube. Um, but yeah, so let's just get into it. What I watched this time was the last broadcast from 1998. And the last broadcast was a very cheaply made movie that isn't super well known today, but um, I hope those who have seen it will listen in, and uh, those who have not will choose to after hearing me talk about it. So let's play the trailer. I'd come to this project with many of the same assumptions that you have concerning the Jersey Devil murders and the guilt of Jim Seward. His characterization as a troubled young man responsible for a spree of horrific, ritualistic homicides. What really happened that night? And is Jim Seward truly responsible? Most people, when they commit a crime, aren't being videotaped, like, you know, when they're doing it, or, like, near the time when they're doing it. It was like spying in on, on this crime about to happen. No one else had the opportunity to commit those murders except for Mr. Jim Seward. I feel weird about it. Yeah, I know, me too. I, this whole idea to come out into the woods and stuff. You know, suddenly they want to jump into doing, you know, big time live, you know, from the Pine Barrens and have radio and internet and this and that. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a fiasco. I, I, I didn't really think it was going to end up like it did, but I knew it wasn't going to look pretty. The attacker was using both hands with two weapons and was ambidextrous. Two separate instruments were driven into the victims at the same time. I think to anybody, if you found 47 pieces of a, of a human being or human beings, it would be very disturbing. The whole thing reeks of a setup. More, more went down than, than we know. Jim's an innocent man, and this was not investigated in any way, shape, or form. The one thing about this with, uh, you know, this guy Jim, uh, you know, the case they built up against him, it was all circumstantial. They didn't have any actual evidence that he did this, but, uh, I mean, he was the only one there. Also, if he's an innocent man, there's a killer on the loose. As they said on Fact or Fiction, you decide. Okay, so the last broadcast presents itself very much like a documentary uh, that you might see on whatever channels that show like murder mystery shows, right? Where we are kind of initially brought into this 
supposed famous crime that happened in New Jersey where this guy named Jim murdered these two hosts of a local TV show called Fact or Fiction. And the way they presented this, I was like, oh, is this a real thing? Because I feel like there's a show that's really called Fact or Fiction or whatever out there. But no, this is all fictional. Um, but for half a second, I wasn't sure. But yes, so there were two hosts of this show, Stephen and Locus, and the two of them are on this kind of local TV uh, broadcast TV show where they do kind of whatever. It's like skits, but what they were going to do that was interesting is that they were early in the 90s utilizing the internet with their show. So this is shown where they had IRC, they had a chat room where people could comment on the show live or whatever, or comment on the show in general. And they even had a text-to-speech tool that would read out the people's IRC comments on the show. Very interesting, very early. You know, and I feel like, for me, the first time I had kind of a live IRC with some sort of media interaction was in, like, maybe 2003 or so, when I listened to the show, the live radio show, quote, live radio. It was online radio only. Uh, Orange Lounge Radio, which is, you know, has con continued to this day as effectively a podcast, as a Twitch stream. But yeah, back then, that was like the first time I kind of experienced that where there was a show going live and there was a chat room where you could chat and the hosts would read the chat and potentially read it out loud. So I was like, oh, quite cool. So people were thinking about that even earlier. I mean, this is fiction, but I'm sure it was based on maybe someone really was doing this. I'm sure they were somewhere. So that was cool. But yes, um, from the show, they got a comment that said, would they do an episode on the Jersey Devil, on the Pine Barrens? Um, and they decided, yeah, let's do that. And so, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm from California or something, not an East Coast person, but like, I know nothing, almost nothing about the Jersey Devil. Um, like the first time I ever heard that term of that creature or what have you was when uh, there was a PS1 game called Jersey Devil. And I played that. And it's a really bad platformer, but that's like the first time I ever heard that term. So yeah, I don't really know anything about it. But And unfortunately, this documentary doesn't tell you anything about it either, really. It doesn't give like a backstory on what the Jersey Devil is, aside from the fact that these two hosts were going to go on the show and search. And the fun thing about their show is that they were going to make this a special. It was going to be live streamed on TV, on the internet, on ham radio. Okay. But it was going to be live. Live recording, live streaming. I don't know how live streaming was in like 19, in the mid to late 90s, but I'm assuming it's probably pretty terrible. The only thing I remember was, you know, in the, two, I guess, early 2000s, was downloading, what is it, QuickTime videos, and that took a long time. So, yeah, I don't know how on earth live streaming would go. Either way, that's what they said they were doing. And as part of this, they needed to hire in some additional folks. They got a sound person, I guess, to help. They just found, like, randomly, and they also got a, quote, I don't know, a spiritual guide? Psychic? Um, and the psychic is Jim. 
the person who we heard earlier is accused of the murder of these two folks. Um, so we're like, okay. And all while we're kind of learning about what was unfolding, we're also hearing from like talking heads. So um, his child, like Jim's child psychologist, is interviewed um, and explains how Jim really got into magic and learned how to do some good tricks. Um, he also talks about how he was getting into acting. And when we're seeing Jim interact with the hosts, we're seeing that stuff come through. We're seeing him act very convincingly that he's a psychic. He is also doing magic tricks, you know, like when they're trying to prove he's a psychic by having him tell them what the cards are going to be before they flip them over on a deck of cards and he's getting them all. Well, he's a magician. That's almost certainly something he can do. There was also one where, like, a number appears on his arm, which was a date. To me, it looked like it was, like, scrawled on, like, scratched on. Um, like, in a way that would be, you know, kind of hurtful. Um, supposedly, that's also a magic trick you can do. Maybe I've never seen one like that, but sure, why not? So, we know as the audience that he's not likely really a psychic, but he is convincing these folks. And why? For what purpose? We don't know. There doesn't seem to be a reason, except that Jim is a very big fan of the internet. And maybe he just likes the show because he liked that they were doing live IRC chats? I don't know. But anyway, they all decide to go to the Pine Barrens, and Jim guides them very, very, very deep into the forest. And at some point, he gets angry, pushes the cameraman, you know, and um, later he just kind of doesn't do anything. He doesn't help anyone. He just stays in the tent on the internet. Question, how is he on the internet in the middle of nowhere? Like, where's the power? And if you think he brought a generator with him, or he's just a battery of his laptop, um, how is their internet? I guess, would they be using satellite? Would there be very good satellite connectivity? I don't know. Anyway, I was very confused by that little tidbit there. Um, but yeah, and so there's IRC logs, but there was like a 45-minute stretch where he was not chatting. So... The prosecution against Jim use all of these facts to try to frame him as the killer. One, he showed a tendency for violence when he pushed the cameraman, and like some other stuff where he was acting weird earlier before the trip. Two, he was not on IRC for 45 minutes and could have killed everyone in that time span. So, like, those are the two keys, really. Um, and that there's nobody else to blame because um, we find the audio guy Ryan or, or Rain, he's his body, and we also find Locus's body. We never find Steven, the other host's body, but we do see a bunch of his blood. And so they presume, the cops presume, that so much blood was lost, there is no way that Steven survived, even though they never find the body. Apparently the other two bodies are like, cut up into 54 pieces or something like that. It was a lot. So it's like, oh gosh, that's uh, pretty violent. So people are, you know, framing him because who else could it be? You know, this he clearly lured them there. He had premeditation on his mind. But really, all the evidence is circumstantial. The most, the strongest, I suppose, evidence is that there is little blood droplets found on his clothes that are from these folks who have been murdered. However, it's a very small amount, and that's brought up during one of the interviews that really, if you cut up people, murder them, you know, grotesquely, 
wouldn't you have more blood on you than just a few tiny droplets? And I agree, yes, I think you would. But because there was a huge rush for a conviction, um, these things weren't really considered, and Jim was just sentenced to two life sentences to be served consecutively. So that's kind of the, the whole documentary in near kind of a midpoint or end of it. The host, uh, what was his name? Uh, David, the documentarian, basically kind of goes on a little tirade about how truth can be manipulated because all of this was recorded, right, by the video cameras. And the prosecution hired someone to edit together the videos to give, you know, evidence of a timeline. But that really probably construed things in a certain way that made Jim look guiltier, right? Because editing is, you know, even if you're editing from a true document, you can come up with something totally different when you're done with the editing process. You know, it's like those YouTube videos where they're like, here's this Disney movie, but we've edited a trailer to be super scary, or we've edited a drama to be a comedy. You know, you can change the mood of the same document via editing. So the, you know, the host is talking about that, basically how truth can be skewed and how media is perpetuating uh, this, these, this truthiness, you know, whatever I'm trying to say, um, which of course, if you are alive and have lived through the past couple of years, you would see a very strong undercurrent of that in uh, the media landscape today particularly the American media landscape, because I'm not really aware of other regions and how they handle their news. But certainly here in America, that has just been strengthening year after year. I mean, it was clearly a thing in the 90s as well. I mean, that's why it was brought up. It was a thing before then, too. Um, but clearly today, it's much, much stronger. So I'm like, hmm, that's oddly prescient. <laughs> um, but anyway, that is not the end of the last broadcast. Because what happens next is the documentarian David is mailed something and it is another videotape and it's really messed up you've got like the tape cartridge but then there's like the tape spool or whatever the actual tape stuff that's kind of like wrapped all over the place like you know when a VHS eats the tape and you're like oh my god it's over um I didn't realize that you could still, like, salvage that because that's what they do. They take it to this woman who's, like, a digital archivist or restorationist person, and she is going to kind of work with this content and try to um, bring it back so that it can be watched. And that's what she's doing. And it turns out, like, it's actually two tapes. But either way, um, she starts working on that, finding more footage, footage that includes... Um, the guys searching around in the woods for each other, and the guys getting really scared and starting to run. And um, so that's like, okay, there's more going on here. And we want to know like what it is, right? Um, so that's the key thing. The next key is that there is a frame where the archivist or what have you believes that there is like a face of the killer and it's all fuzzy and messed up. So she has to render it for like two months or something. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so she starts to work on that process. And while that's happening, the host is kind of getting more, like he's almost doing a vlog, 
where he's talking to, he's facing the camera and speaking, like, handheld cam in the car, you know, um, and saying, you know, this is going to be kind of, the the truth is going to be revealed at this moment, and is it the Jersey Devil, or is the Jersey Devil just in our mind, or whatever he's saying that's kind of goofy. Um, but finally, finally, we get to the point where the face is going to be revealed, and if you uh, want to watch this movie and don't want to be spoiled, then stop listening to this episode. Uh, but if you don't mind, then I'm going to go right into it, because this is the key thing. It finally reveals the face of David, the documentarian. And he comes into the place just as the woman is kind of, the rendering is finishing. She sees and knows who it is. She turns around and is shocked because there he is, the killer, right in her office. Um, but he kills her uh, because she has like a bunch of like, I don't like plastic in her room. And I'm guessing that's like to kind of keep the room safe. Um from like stuff getting on the tape and the elements to kind of mess it up. That's my guess. But anyway, he kills her with that by, you know, basically putting it all over her head and face and smothering her um, until she can suffocate and die. And from here, it is no longer a documentary. From here on out, it is kind of David vlogging and also like, you know, camera angles that wouldn't make any sense because he's not holding the camera, but obviously there's nobody else there. Um... But yes, yeah, so there's like weird camera angles, but it's him killing her, taking the body out to the woods where they were, and is kind of continuing to film while he is kind of revealed to have been the murderer of everyone, basically. So this ending I was not expecting because of the whole aspect of Jersey Devil and Pine Barrens. I was expecting something supernatural. And I assume many others were as well, because if you look at reviews, both contemporary ones from now and ones that were contemporary to the time of when the movie came out, it is so split, but most of the people hated the ending. They hated it for multiple reasons. One, they hated it because it's not supernatural. It was just some man, and there's like a lot of loose ends that don't make sense if he's the killer. Um, but also, they didn't like how the movie shifted from pure routine, like documentary you'd see on TV, to suddenly we're cutting to something that is not the documentary um, in a way that's really shocking and sudden and abrupt and is very confusing, kind of. Um, so if they could have, like, transitioned it better, like, the documentary ends, there's credits, and then we kind of, like, I don't know, make, see someone take the tape out or turn off the TV. I mean, yeah, it could be David. He turns off the TV because he was watching the doc that he made or watching the videotape of, like, the recording that he just made and was submitting, and then he goes out and kills her. But then that would kind of confuse the aspect where the documentary's, like, building to the part where they're going to reveal the killer. Unless maybe they ended it by saying, you know, we'll find out on part two. Um, and then he goes out and kills her. Um, it could have been, I think, could have been handled in a way that's smoother, so it wouldn't be so jarring and upsetting for people. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, the movie was made for like $900. I don't know if they had a lot of time to really think super in-depth about it after they filmed it. I don't know. But I did appreciate the movie. And I, okay, admittedly I kind of didn't like the end because I was really confused at first. I'm like, who is this? Because I didn't realize that that face that was revealed was David. Because you don't see David a lot. <laughs> and when you see him in the video footage, I think he has like um, stubble and he doesn't have stubble in the rest of the stuff. So I was confused. Anyway, that's just my dumb brain. 
But after that, and you know, my friend, he watched it because I recommended it to him, and he really liked it and liked the ending as well. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm reappraising this. I don't think it's a bad ending. It's just not what I was expecting. Um, but yeah, after that, I watched like a 20-minute video about it, um, like from the creators, and I think it's from like the YouTube channel, The Film School or something. And it seems like it was a video like targeted toward film school students where they kind of talk about how they did it in their process and where they had barely any money to make this movie, but they did it. And I think it was so cool. Like, they did so much interesting stuff. Like, all of the kind of bloody gore scenes in the movie um, were not real gore. It wasn't like makeup gore. It was just Photoshop effects. And despite that, it actually looked pretty good. So I was kind of surprised that at that time you could get something decent looking with Photoshop. Same with the newspaper clip clippings. Those were all Photoshop. They were never printed out. There was nothing ever happening. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm sure they do that now, but I didn't know that then they were doing this. Um, fun things like, apparently to make one of the kind of like eerie sounds, they took a dial-up modem sound and slowed it down super, 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 super slow, and it sounds totally different and creepy. I'm like, wow, that's like really thoughtful. I would have never like come up with that, like how they were able to get sounds because, you know, they probably want to buy money, buy, buy money, they want to buy from a sound bank or what have you. So they made their own effects. It was pretty cool. I really liked it. Um, stuff like that. Um, things that I didn't realize, like the smothering scene, which goes on for a while, like that the actress just held her breath the whole time. There wasn't like any way that she was secretly breathing. She was holding her breath. Okay. Like, that would scare me, kind of, unless I knew that, like, I could hold my breath for two minutes or something, like, I'm just a skilled person at that. I would be really scared of someone, like, throttling me with, like, plastic all in my mouth and nose. But hey, okay, I wasn't the actress. Um, but yeah, I thought this movie was quite fun. I love, uh, not all, but many of these types of movies. I love it. I love Maki... Like, it's not a mockumentary. Like, to me, I think of it like more comedy. But it is a really good pseudo-documentary. I like that a lot. I like that kind of thing. I like found footage quite a lot, as long as it's done decently. And I love... You know, I just love all that stuff. And so this hit on so many marks. I just, you know, I kind of hoped and wished that there could have been a true supernatural ending. But that's okay. I guess it's fine. But I did like it overall um, quite a bit. And that's why, you know, I recommend it to a friend to watch because I thought he might like it too, and he did. Um, so you might like it too if you haven't seen it. Um, apparently it's available on DVD um, and also uh, YouTube, just on YouTube. I couldn't find any other streaming places uh, that had it. But just for reference, there are ways to get it. Um, you can buy it on DVD. It's definitely not on Blu-ray. Um, the cover of the DVD kind of uh, is a spoiler. It's because it's like the woman with the plastic all over her mouth, but you kind of can't tell what it is. It just kind of looks like someone's screaming weirdly. Um, but yeah, so just for reference, that's what that is about on the cover. Uh, but I, I was really, I was really surprised that I hadn't heard of this before. You know, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like I've heard of a fair amount of horror movies and fair amount of niche ones as well. But the last broadcast somehow. Like, I had never heard of it before, and I, I was surprised, like, that I hadn't, but I'm glad I, I did finally hear about it and decide to watch it. And I recommend others to do it as well, because I think if you're a fan of found footage anyway, it's fun. And if you kind of know that the ending is, mm, 
you know, potentially not liked by all of them. That's, I think, a good way to go in because maybe you'll like it more after you realize that. Um, I heard about the, I heard about this by, from the podcast, uh, Girl That's Scary. And they had like an episode about found footage a little while back. Um, and that's where they just kind of offhandedly mentioned it. And I was like, what is that? And I decided to watch it. And I was like, wow, okay. I, I get down with this. Like, I like this. Um, so I think it was very much worth it. I would like to see someone like Vinegar Syndrome release this because it's shot on video horror and they've kind of started to get into that or at least one of their sub-labels has. So I think that would be cool and a good way to go. Like, this is definitely something that deserves a, a release again, even if they can't like do the most amazing effects or whatever because it is shot on video um, from the beginning. That's all there is. There's no film like real film. Um, one of the most interesting things about this movie is it came up before the Blair Witch Project. Um, people, a lot of people believe it to kind of erroneously believe that the last broadcast rips off the Blair Witch Project. But it's the other way around. Except, okay, I don't know if the Blair Witch Project ripped off the last broadcast, but the last pro uh, broadcast did release a year earlier. So, you know, make of that what you will. Uh, but I do think that it's so fascinating. And it's like because of that Blair Witch connection, I'm surprised that more people don't know about this movie because I feel like you would, you know, because a lot of people a lot of times are always like, Blair Witch is the first found footage movie, um, first, but it's not. Okay, clearly this is an earlier um, found footage movie. Well, actually, it's a mix. No, it's like a documentary and found footage or a documentary with found, quote, found footage. Um but even before that, there were still movies. I can't remember the one that I really love that came out in like 1989 uh, that was released by Vinegar Syndrome. But that was, the, I think, the actual first found footage movie. And of course, this is shot on video. I don't remember if the other one was shot on video as well. I can't recall. Um, but, you know, Blair Witch was not truly the first. It's just kind of the pivotal, famous moment where it kind of really took over when it hit cinemas and everyone went went nuts for it but you know no no disservice to Blair Witch you know that's a great movie as well um just that I was really surprised that this movie is not as well known you know decently well known maybe it's just me maybe I've been out of the circle for years and just don't know um but yeah that is the last broadcast and I definitely recommend you check it out you know even to see if you just want to find out like your opinion on the ending you know go ahead check it out you may like or dislike it but that's okay um so yeah that is it and I'm happy I got to really enjoy a movie. And I hope that the next one will be just as good. Either way, thank you for listening. And I'll be back in two weeks with another episode.